Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the 78th episode of the DesiVC podcast. This is your host, Akash Pat, and each week I bring you operators and investors building companies and investing in the diverse tech landscape of India. Well, today is a very special episode because sitting across the table from me is Madhu Shalini Ayur. She is a partner at Rocketship VC, which is a very unique fund that leverages data science and algorithms to help them make investment decisions. Madhu was the chief data science officer of Gojek and helped grow the business to a billion dollar valuation. She was also on the board and started the Singapore office. Prior to Gojek, she was an operating partner at a $150 million private equity fund building startups across Southeast Asia. She was part of the founding team of Intuit's QuickBooks lending platform, where she helped grow the platform to $300 million and holds three patents in the areas of user data augmentation algorithms for financial inclusion. Well, we have a very special guest sitting across the table from us today because she is going to share a lot of insights how data science can help VC funds make decisions and how she has basically leveraged the use of algorithms in all aspects of her operating and investing career to help her in her day-to-day job. Well, without further ado, here's my conversation with Madhu. Madhu, welcome to the DCVC podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to host you here on the show today. I'm looking forward to the next 45 to 50 minutes and delving deeper into all of your past experiences, right from operator to where you are spending all of your time today in investing. So on that note, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Akash. It's a pleasure to be here and to be meeting you. Well, I wanted to craft this initial introduction based on your past experience because you have a very unique history yourself, especially from a professional context. You've been an operator, you've been a board member, and now you're spending a lot of your time investing in uh, in companies. You know, how did you get started in your professional journey? And more importantly, how did all of those things really lead you to investing? Or did you even know that investing was one of those things that you wanted to eventually do in your life? It'll be nice if you can take us through that journey and how everything unfolded in your professional career? No, absolutely. I think um, that's a great question to start uh, this conversation with because I feel that, you know, it's um, it's very relevant to how I feel today, uh, at least sitting, uh, you know, sitting with you. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I think that I've uh, had a sort of... Uh, a pretty nomadic lifestyle. My father was in the Air Force. I've said this enough times, but I think it sort of really built the culture of moving every couple of years. And I went out to high school and did that in Singapore, which is relevant because, you know, my later journey sort of, uh, you know, ended in Singapore for a brief while. Uh, And I went to university in Sydney and did my engineering and came to the Bay Area uh, very early on, 2002, 2003. And I worked here, Uh, but I didn't work in computer science. Uh, When I was doing engineering in school, I did a lot of math classes and I decided to sort of pursue that interest when I came here. Uh, And I was, uh, you know, I jumped into statistics and applied statistics and applied mathematics and not many people sort of knew of that then uh, and so you know I worked at UCSF uh, you know I uh, I worked at a company that was started by a bunch of Stanford grads called Exponent uh, and I was in the statistics and data sciences practice uh, working as a senior scientist in the early 2000s uh, and uh, you know 2005 to 2009 10 actually and um, you know it was it was funny because not many people knew uh, 
uh, you know, that data science, before it was even coined, was the statistics and data sciences group that I was in, but not many people knew what that entailed, what that meant. Um, you know, and this was a consulting think tank and I was in the statistics data science practice, like I said. Um, uh, and, you know, I, I was an early contributor to R, uh, to SAS, uh, you know, we were using all these, uh, an early contributor to even Python, you know, because we were all using uh, it way before it sort of became, you know, the massive thing that it is right now. And then I got an opportunity to um, move from Exponent as a senior scientist uh, before the word data science was coined to, um, you know, to Intuit, which is where the product analytics stuff happened. Uh, and uh, and then, you know, I actually got to start a group within Intuit, which is, you know, which is called the QuickBooks Financing Group. Uh, and that was like a new business initiative. You had all this data. How do you now lend money? And I was very lucky, honestly, because at that time, it was really FinTech one revolution happening because OnDeck and Lending Club and Cabbage, and they all just sort of begun and arrived. This is 2010, 2011. I'm talking about 2011. Um, and, uh, and we had arrived uh, with QuickBooks Financing we were the platform that had all the information of these small businesses and we wanted to help our small business customers that were using QuickBooks uh, and we partnered with these folks as a data scientist as a founding data scientist of that group of that initiator of the business I was able to sort of really fund uh, you know do a lot of funding uh, for the small businesses that used QuickBooks and we funded 150 million dollars within a year it was very quick uh, you know Cabbage just incorporated their company and walked into one of our offices uh, to work with us so it was a it was a magnificent journey you know and fintech one was as fintech one was happening went back to southeast asia just then which was also then nascent and um uh, but then this is where i think really the magic happened i got talking to a startup in the fintech realm and the and the folks that had invested in them, the private equity fund, they are the ones who reached out to me to say that, you know, you should join us. That was my first experience with investing, loved it. Southeast Asia was obviously not the right place to, uh, you know, start my investing career back then because it was still a little nascent. Uh, and I went back to being an operator at Gojek. Um, and, you know, I loved it. I built the Singapore office, actually yeah. started it. Um, anyway, long story short, I never thought I would invest. Uh, yeah. My entire uh, you know, I've, I've sort of just moved and I've been very, very um, comfortable with change. And uh, I've seen both sides and I've been one of the lucky ones that have seen both sides. Yeah. And early on, um, and, you know, and, and I knew that I wanted to sort of do a breadth of things and, and not being, you know, because company building is a skill in itself and it takes years and I love it. But, you know, uh, I actually enjoy the breadth of investing. Take us through that thought process of what it meant for you to like go back first to Singapore and then going and investing because changing that mentality from being an operator to investing is obviously not that easy yeah. so when you did it for the first time how easy or difficult was it for you the reason I ask that is because a lot of my listeners are also either operators who either at some point become a fund manager or they go on and get into investing so what should somebody be prepared for when they actually make that leap from an operator to an investor yeah. role? No, absolutely. I think for me, um, what was interesting was when I went back to this private equity fund, uh, I was still doing um, an operator role and then looking at other investments, but looking at it as an investment as well. So I had to sort of be in 
a company, but also sort of come out and do, um, you know, uh, just sort of an investor, take a, put on a, put on a hin- investor hat. They have yeah. two very different hats, uh, honestly. And uh, it, people think that it's interchangeable. Uh, what it is, um, what I think being an operator is more valuable when you put on the investor hat, because mm-hmm. then you can really know what's going on within a company, how to build one, how to sort of identify and how to also help a company. And, you know, um, and so, but I'm actually, I'm very modest to know that, you know, nobody can be an entrepreneur or an operator. It's, it's a skill. I res- I have a tremendous amount of respect for them. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I think it also helps to at least have walked in those shoes. Yeah. An investor mentality in the heart is obviously, you know, you can be a little, uh, you're not living and breathing the problems every day. Yeah. So I, I think what I did was in the beginning stages, when I went back to, when I went into investing first, I was still sort of, you know, uh, I, I had my feet in both. I mm. was an operator in the company that we had invested in. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I was sort of also investing. Uh, so I got to sort of uh, tread both those worlds. And so I was lucky mm-hmm. in order to sort of have something that I was good at and had done for a long time, uh, but then also learn the ropes of something that I had not done, which is investing. Yeah. Uh, but these are two different things. And, uh, and frankly, it's easier being an investor than an operator any day. Yeah, no, I've heard that quite a number of times. A lot of people say it's, 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 it's a very thankless journey that somebody goes on, especially when you're an operator, doesn't matter. You're the CEO, you're somebody working at a, um, at, at probably a couple of levels below because that company building journey, you never know when it ends because the, for a lot of founders, it's all about building and building an incremental and incremental and generational growth is what they really want. Totally. And only a very few companies really hit that, hit that level. Um, some of them, unfortunately, either die along the way or get bought over. There's a change of leadership. Unfortunately, that ends up, that ends up happening in our business quite a bit. One of the things that you mentioned there was you said that uh, it was from your perspective, like being an operator meant that it gave you almost a one-up when it came to investing and give you a little bit of like, um, you know, an understanding as to what it meant to like build companies. I wanted you to double down a little bit more on that and what particular aspects about you being an operator really helps you today or helped you back then when you first went into investing. Absolutely. I think, you know, it's very important to understand um, uh, there are aspects of a business that an investor knows, you mm-hmm. know, the you know how do you measure sort of the metrics and what's good versus not there's a lot of other things that are you know underneath uh, the layers how do you really um, how do you know the hiring part of it you know is yeah. an organizational built up to do the right things is uh, are things getting teed up the right way yeah uh, you know, responsibilities organizations you know yeah. uh, you know products uh, and that I think comes from experience you know mm-hmm. you've seen some things work and and frankly failure is the biggest uh, I think I've learned more from failure than uh, from successes and you know what has not worked you know but sometimes you know things but you have to keep an open mind because what has not worked for you might work for somebody else, else. but but you know to really sort of have that uh, a nuanced understanding of of hiring of organizations of you know of uh, of priorities of sort of you know of uh, marketing priorities and and the organization that so it's it's just a it's a bunch of things that are you know that kind of, it's like a river it all comes together and you know the flow uh, and you know it's important to have been in one to understand mm-hmm. how to swim in one uh, and what's going on underneath a calm sort of looking river uh, yeah. and that's that's been important uh, i feel like in evaluating companies 
yeah. in helping out companies uh, you know certainly be in being on boards because it's you know it's a different perspective that you bring to the table mm-hmm. uh, and also uh, like i said you know to the due diligence the very beginning how do you invest and you know what yeah. do you like and what do you not like and uh, an operator will like some things i'm and i've seen this enough to know that when you are an operator and an investor you are always almost a different mindset to an investor who's sort of a pure investor because you know uh, some of the things that gel with you and that you understand others might not it's a fantastic point that you make then one other thing that i'd like to add to that is that when you're when you're an investor with solid operating experience it also make it makes it easier for you to win a deal especially when it's super, super competitive and i've noticed that quite a bit right like one of the reasons why people would want to work with us or want to work with or even like speak to me for that matter is like hey they see a profile they do a little bit of research on that and they're like okay these guys actually have some operating experience they're not just pure investors like if you're pure investors there's nothing against against the fact that like you can be a solid pure investor only who's just invested all throughout your life and perhaps you've just developed that skin along the way where you know what's a good deal from a bad bad deal but if you don't have that and you're starting a fund from scratch your operating experience really comes in hand when you're trying to win a deal which is extremely competitive and the founders look at it and they're like okay maybe this is something that i might really need at some point of time it could be board management it could be you know just somebody who has probably launched a business in a different market and so on and so forth and i'll come to your board experience in in a little bit but you're also i guess the only person who's been on the podcast so far who had an operating experience went to investing went back to being an operator and then came back to investing yeah. so yes how did how did all that happen like once you went down the private equity route what made you then want to go back and you know being be an operator all over again and you know i i don't want to give uh, too much credit to my sort of chartering my career as much as you know it, it's luck and it's what happened and it was what on was on the ground yeah uh, i actually also am one of you know uh, the few people that has been lucky to sort of uh, see and see two very great ecosystems um, right. the valley yeah uh, for data science and i saw fintech and then i also was very lucky to have gone to uh, southeast asia yeah. uh, things were just hitting off you know uh, in southeast asia uh, to really sort of tell a, a story um, very unsexily and very yeah. is yeah. that there was not much you know in fintech it was very early stages for in fintech there was not much happening you know uh, it just that was a time really where uh, you know building a company and the skills to re- required to build a company were much more essential mm-hmm. uh, you know and what spoke to me because that was a need on the ground as i spoke to companies as i met people there was just a lot lacking you know and and i say lacking in the most sort of positive way in the sense that Uh, there was a dearth of people around you know and there were a lot of great uh, you know entrepreneurs and great talent but uh, you know i think that the operating experience um, you know i think they they should have been operators and not sort of investors which is which is which was my calling when i saw that and i decided to sort of uh, go and join gojek um, yeah. but coming back to the point of sort of then coming back here um, you know it was just when i came back to the valley i felt like uh you know and and of course i saw india as well because gojek was building something huge in india in terms of its tech talent yeah. uh, even data science and so you know i i kind of crossed all these great economies and ecosystems that were to be uh, and then came back here to realize that you know i i wanted to sort of um dabble a little bit in um operator experience more just to sort of find out you know what are the differences here what are the differences there but very quickly i realized that you know um i had moved beyond 
uh, and I was in actually a fintech startup here, uh, and I was uh, in the CDO role, but you know, helping with uh, fundraise and and just you know marketing and everything really. So I was just kind of playing a CXO role, uh, and um, we were going to raise a Series C, but I just realized that you know I uh, really really enjoyed uh, the the process of you know of sort of in just being on the CXO role, you know. Yeah. Uh, and and fund and fundraise and and actually the the thing that really called to me was cross border and, and mm. across the world. Yeah, uh, that's when I decided to sort of go back. And this was in 2017. And mind you, the valley was still a really really you know an inward place because you just yeah. you know, only invested in the valley. It was pretty isolated. It's mm -hmm. you know it's inward um, and and in the best possible way. You know it it was it it was really not global at the point. It was close knit. Yeah. It, Pretty close, extremely knit. close knit. Close knit, and so I decided to, um, I decided to sort of do a fund of my own, which is when I met Rocket Ship guys in a couple yeah. of years, 2019, and I decided to join them. Um, and it was because of the fact that they were using data, which is yeah. my experience throughout my life, yeah. and to find deals. And they were also doing worldwide investing at a time when nobody else- Not a lot of people were it. doing it. Yeah, yeah, not many people were doing it. So, you know, it just felt like it was the right place for me to be. And I, uh, you know, closed shop for my own fund and went yeah. and joined uh, Rocket Ship, yeah. That's fantastic. And uh, let's talk about that a little bit because the unique insights that you can actually share with us here on the episode today is how data and data science can actually help in investing. And that has always been one of the things that I want to talk about uh, before even we got jumped onto the recording today. And I'm curious as to how, because we do a very little, I mean, very teeny tiny minuscule part of like data uh, that we use to, uh, to, to, to help with our investments, but not even as close as what probably you do. So I want to get a little bit more insight into one, how do you set up a practice um, and use data and data science to actually help with investing? And how do you then incorporate that into a thesis so that all the investments kind of reflect back on everything that you're doing from a data point of view. Absolutely. Sure. I think, um, you know, I, I think that it was very clear, abundantly clear to me when I started my fund uh, was that when you're sitting, you know, in a place uh, and wanting to sort of invest everywhere and be agnostic, yeah. uh, the, only, uh, the only lever that you have really is data mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the uh, you know the, and that really is uh, you know goes beyond anything and it has to be something you know very very nuanced in terms of the data building it's, itself it's a it's a very so uh, let me start with one thing it's a very complex AI problem uh, to build a database of startups and to then to have to call intelligence on top of it and to sort of you know gather intelligence from it yeah. Uh, to sort of have the signal to noise ratio be high, mm -hmm. to be consistent, uh, to be constant, mm -hmm. uh, to be real time, to have the data sort of feeding it still be fresh, mm -hmm. still be, you know, still be authentic, still be uniform, because mm -hmm. there's so many sources, how do you uniform at all, you know, what are the kinds of variables, uh, what are the kinds of factors that you create on it? Uh, to be able to, you know, sort of make sense out of it in the end. So it's a very complex uh, data problem and an AI problem. Uh, I'll start off there. Uh, but, you know, there were other precedents um, yeah, because uh, public markets were using, beginning to use that, uh, you know, because there's more data available. Now, private markets is a different problem altogether. Yeah. Uh, 
but there is something that you can do which is what rocket ship ended up doing which is you take the goodness of the information that's available and with the you know the with, with the advent of sort of web and everything on you know instagram and so much of social feedbacks with social there's just much more fresh information that's coming in constantly so we can we, we can make a make use of that we can make the best of the public markets investing piece and then take that and sort of you know have this for private markets uh, and then go the last mile you know more traditional way but what we are solving for is we are solving for the deal flow because we okay. have more deal flow than we ever need uh, access in fact we have a point of view on every company because yeah. every company is on our database we yeah. have a point of view on it uh, and we and it's very well known that rocket ship is 100% outbound mm-hmm. we go out after companies beat khata book or apna or no broker or moglex or pampe or animal we reached out to all of them on a cold mm-hmm. email uh, saying that you know there's something going on here and yeah. we want to talk to you and yeah. the run rate of you know just even the companies that i've mentioned many more you know that we have in our portfolio just phenomenal yeah. companies is a testament to the fact that if this data problem is defined right is assimilated right and yeah. then you sort of you know build something meaningful on top of it there is there is a advantage to be had that you are not going to have with anything including some really large vc funds because the action is changing you know one day it's in southeast asia the other day it's in latam yeah. you know you build equal forces you know how do you do it? it it's a it's a difficult problem for anybody even with you know large amounts of capital you have to have a very large amount of capital to be able to sort of take advantage of you know the changing environments all over the world and you know just really a global footprint and make advantage take advantage of you know make hay i, w- I wanted to say yeah things are getting yeah. really good in different places yeah so i'm curious as to whether the thesis dictates the data or the data dictates the thesis in this case because you, as you mentioned you know doing an outreach to an animal or a khata book or apna is not easy one from a perspective because yeah you know them in retrospect because they've gone on to like become like household names but at the early stage they're all pretty fairly unknown or they haven't been really discovered as such so do you first build the thesis and then build the data on top of that and the intelligence tells you and points to certain companies in these sectors and niches that you want to go after or is it the other way around where you are building the platform and the intelligence and then saying okay this is basically where we got to be like putting our thesis into place because i guess both ways work but which way does rocket ship really incline towards that's a it's a it's a really really good question and the answer is extraordinarily simple uh, whenever you try to go against the data we have been thrown back into the <laughs> trenches and we are like you know and so our entire motto is never question the data right uh, always the thesis is driven by the data okay. uh, we don't like to superimpose as much as possible we're all human beings here yeah. but as much as possible we try to be very agnostic to what yeah. the data is taking us but the data yeah. has taken us to every place everything has been formed by the data uh, you know we are sector agnostic we are even stage agnostic largely you know mm-hmm. uh, they're only capital constraint as we like to joke but uh, <laughs> but we are you know we are everything agnostic as long as you know the data is guiding us and the data has guided us to india in fact just as an example you know in 2017 2016 when, I, when we started seeing india we weren't really sure and this is before me predates me fund 1 uh, and the and the data was just hugely pointing to india and back then you know india was there was nothing much happening in india really yeah 2016 but then you know we saw that things it's actually started to dry up in 
exactly and that's when yeah. you know, things started popping up in our algos and there was you know there was a uh, sort of a intersection with the geo uh, you know uh, with geo production yeah and and this going off and we saw it and we invested and i think moglix and and uh, and no broker are sort of the key examples of us having leaned into india before the global players came in and it was really an artifact of our data and the mm-hmm. fact that we didn't really have any thesis we had started out as a fund a 40 million dollar fund only wanting to invest in the valley because we only got one office and we are all based here in the valley mm-hmm. and we had never thought that you know it's so we are accidental global investors because that's where the data pointed us and uh, and now we are very thankful and we are only going to go where the data takes us yeah yeah i have a couple of questions that actually lead me to team development internally thesis going after building a portfolio and all of that but let me start with this question right I'm curious to understand when data points towards certain markets, certain industries, um, certain uh, subsectors as well. How does that thesis then get validated, especially when there has been zero investment in that space before, from a portfolio perspective? Like, if it's some completely, let's take for example the whole the last couple of years, like Web three has just been like every other VC fund wants to invest in Web three, and and the amount of um, you know deal flow that we have seen in that. in that particular subsector has been phenomenal yeah not to say that we've got some fantastic stories to actually show for it but there's been great deal flow how does the data then identify trends and at the same time then identify and point towards certain things that you need to be looking into absolutely i think that's also a really good question so overwhelmingly we obviously have some trends that take over uh, but then uh, actually we are not even uh, what we have seen from our data is that at no point so there are trends that emerge yeah but individual companies emerge uh, as mm-hmm. so when you have these algorithms that are predicting a certain success outcome as and there are many many algorithms that we have yeah. that different kinds of success outcomes uh, the one good thing to sort of just and i think yours is a very important question but i'll just kind of you know side step that for just a second and say that uh, you know uh, there were we didn't see uh, we we see category defining companies for example apna Mm-hmm. apna was a company that popped up you know in a sea of other companies different kinds of companies but apna was interesting to us because of what we were seeing from our algorithms yeah what it was telling us and you know when i spoke to nirmit it became infinitely clear that you know they were on to doing something and uh, you know and i loved uh, speaking to nirmit and i loved the deck and i just loved the vision and everything so so this is so i wanted to just side step that to just say that we are seeing winners in terms of companies trend agnostic you know it's just these are throwing up different kinds of companies so that's that's an advantage because mm-hmm. i don't think we would have seen an upna if it had not been for our algorithms algorithms is always king uh, or queen for us uh, as we like to call it um but um then you have uh, you know then you have the trends that obviously climate and web3 and you know crypto as it was happening you know and there was just so many other things that were happening and we see those companies too but we like to sort of talk to many and there are some companies that are thrown out from there as well to your point um you know the the one thing is that uh, you know we we do like to talk to everybody that have been identified as a subset of companies that we should be speaking to and you know and i think that the one thing that we always assume is that we've already not it's not an assumption it's a truth is that we have seen uh, this algorithm has uh, processing a lot of data so it's a, it's you know it's sitting on top of hundreds of thousands of companies 
And so, you know, when something pops up and emerges and it's individual companies, it's already sort of complete, competed under in the layer, or, you know, and, and the algorithm is throwing up some companies for a reason. So yeah. we have the advantage of, you know, of not having to go and see everything else and build a thesis. And because these are companies that are interesting to us, if that makes sense, because yeah. we believe that the algorithm is already sifted through all that and is now giving us gold. So that's like the first level of filtration that's already been, which is like, hard hard levels that you have set internally yourself so even before it gets to like a diligence there's a pre-diligence that's already happened absolutely and and and, you know the thing is that it's not a static and then i said the freshness of the data and the algorithms our algorithms are not static because we are yeah it's dynamic you know we're changing it feedback uh and the one point I want to make it is that make is which is very important is the fact that all of us partners are also data scientists. Mm. A really, really important thing because there is a silo for most funds. You know, folks that are building the algorithms uh, with you know folks with that are people sort of, who are yeah. not data. Uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I feel like you know, if there is a silo, then the loop and the feedback loop, most especially importantly, yeah. is completely complete. You know, it's not complete in the sense that you are not able to take back all the subjective. Yeah. And, you know, it's, there's a lot of subjective feedback as well. How do you then incorporate that into the, uh, you know, into the analytics and into the algorithms? We yeah. have engineering meetings every week that we run with the investment professionals and we are dangerous enough to go and change the algorithms too. I think that's a secret sauce as well for us because, and, and it just so happened. It's just all come together this way magically. Yeah. No, I'm going to play a devil's advocate here and I'm going to take a sports analogy because I'm, I'm a huge sports fan myself. So while data in sports has obviously helped a lot of teams be successful, given insights into uh, certain things that they probably wouldn't have had in in the 80s and 90s or predating the uh, pure data science era in sports, one thing that you can never discount is gut and having that hunch and just you know, like, oh, there's something within me that says this is this is something that we need. Has does that happen at at a at a fund like yours, wherein sometimes there may be false false positives, or there's a gut internally that just tells one of the partners that hey, maybe the data is indicating towards this, but I don't think this is probably something that we got to be putting our money against. Has that ever happened? And do you st- what what happens in, during that situation? Do you still go with the data, or does the gut, like the human instinct, actually kick in? Yeah. So I think, um, you know, to answer your question very broadly um, and comprehensively is that there's the false positives, which is, you know, um, uh, and it's seldom happened. And that's the, that's why the longitudinal aspect of the data is really important because we started yeah. in 2014. Right. We're in 2022. There's, you know, there's eight years. Eight years of data. Of data. And, uh, you know, and so, um, I have not had a call in the last two years, for example, and I've spoken to hundreds of companies where I've, you know, looked at them and said, why did the data predict them? I don't know what the hell was going on. So that's not happened. So that's wow. that, that really, and, you know, and I can say that confidently. Um, and so that's a huge testament to the fact that the longitudinal nature of the feedback and the data has really helped in mm-hmm. improving and bettering our algorithms. Yeah. Now, there are some times when we've actually missed a good company. Yeah. And that's our last level of gut. So, you know, sometimes, so there are, you know, so we've had a lot of companies that go on to have, you know, great outcomes and yeah. we've spoken to them in the last mile, which I was talking about the human, yeah. we've missed it there. So that's happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there are some other times that our data, there's some things that are lacking in our data and we just don't, you know, speak to a company that's a 
fabulous company at the early stages or whatever it is and that i think is a data miss um mm -hmm. you know and uh, and so that's 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 to be comprehensive you know but there are times when uh, but i think our algorithm has just gotten better and and we also have some human curations in the middle yeah uh, where, we, where we sort of discount some of the junk that might come through uh, and that's just very far and few in between. You know, I don't think there's that percentage that is too high. Yeah. So when you're building a data set that's as complex and as intelligent as this, do you then have to break this out into like multiple subsets of like pre-seed, seed, series A, B, and based on the stage of investments and sector-wise, do you have to like break this down to like everything kind of gives you like the most accurate stage-wise, location-wise, uh, um, any other filter that you have and kind of gives you like what's like popping every now and then or is it more like from a holistic database perspective you have things that keep popping up how does that I'm trying to like without you giving away too much yeah. can you also give us a little bit of insight into yeah. how this design looks from an uh, external point of view no, totally. I think, uh, uh, you know, just in the interest of sort of being brief there, uh, we have um, it's a holistic approach that okay. we do uh, we don't like to, when you try to slice data too much, sometimes mm -hmm. there can be problems and there can be sort of inter inherent biases that are built in. We just yeah. like it to be holistic, which is the reason we always call ourselves an agnostic fund. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not a fintech only fund or an e-commerce or, you know, it's just agnostic for those reasons, because mm -hmm. we want it, we want the algorithms to work holistically to sort of pop out the gold from the dust. Uh, and yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And, uh, it kind of really tells you, that secret sauce that you previously mentioned and how that secret sauce actually one came into being and two, how it's working. But what I'm also curious about at this point is understanding how LPs react to this model. Because when you're fundraising, it's easy to actually say that this is in place while actually showing them how this works. So yeah. what is what is the typical reaction when you speak to a potential first-time new LP and talk to them about, hey, we've got science that's actually dictating a lot of our portfolio companies and our construction, and we're just cogs in the wheel, like helping it move on in some cases. In some cases, you know, it's the algorithm that's really like the USB and the secret sauce for us. How does that conversation play out? And do the LPs actually get it at first go? Is it more of a longer relationship building process where they have to see it to actually believe it? No, absolutely. I think it's a little bit of both. And I think you have different kinds of LPs. Some LPs are, you know, folks that just get it yeah uh, and some of our early investors uh, lps they were all from uh, uh, we still have a very heavy mix of the us uh, in our lp uh, list you know it's it's mm -hmm. heavily it's heavily west coast mm -hmm. uh, so that will kind of give you an inclination to the kind of people so they get the data their, the data adoption. parts okay. exactly the early adoption bit you know cuz yeah. when you go off and you tell folks that you know you want to do this for investing you know it's um, it's it's hugely sexy, but it's it's a little you know it's a little uh, sort of like um, it's not been done before. Uh, people say that they're doing it. You yeah. cannot put an entire fund on that. Um, so they so they were there were early adopters and then they were not. Uh, but now I think as the times have changed and a lot of the you know I, I think if you want to be a global fund at some point and especially in the last two years we're seeing this you know people are investing in in India from here, you know, in yeah. MENA from here. And it's the global has become much more the and commonplace. And it's it's not because of deal flow as much as, you know, people are now, you know, um, looking at data in a much, much more serious way. So that conversation with LPs from different parts has become a little easier for us because now mm -hmm. they get, but at the end of the day, you know, this is a very, very traditional business at the heart of it, you know, money, investing money, returns, yeah. This is a good business and, you know, and 
um, and they have to know our track record and they've seen it now because now we are in fund three. Um, and uh, so, you know, we've, uh, we had an initial sort of hiccup, but that hiccup was crossed because we were speaking to the early adopters and now the results are out and now folks see our deal flow and they know us and, and they know the track record. So it's, it's improving. And also I would say that what is usually improve, improving is just the, you know, the, the fact that data is now so much more commonplace in funds in you know private equity in vc uh, you know and there's results to be had and also what's really interesting is that there is a lot more data sources that you know credit card information transactional information and public markets and you know huge uh, funds are you know hedge funds they're all investing in it big time which is great because now there's more data available so yeah. it's sort of a you know it's it's all feeding into uh, each other which is great for us and there's more competition there's more funds doing this Mm -hmm. And all of that actually only helps us in, in a very weird way. We, are, we welcome the competition. We, we yeah. love it, uh, you know, and... Uh, it helps sharpen your algorithms as well and keep you guys on the tours every single day. Yeah, and it's more data for us. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and it's more LPs for us, and yeah. uh, you know, we we just we we really really welcome the, this amount of sort of lens on data which people are now putting, and you know, and it's right. become important suddenly. Yeah. No, I started first noticing when one of my uh, colleagues who went out and started his own fund uh, at Scrum, and he emphasized a lot more on like early stage data, like he does pre-seed investments, but then he started building a layer of like data science and has the algorithm predicting about 70 to 80% of his deal flow and which companies might be really good. That's the first time I actually had some insight into how something of this sort is built and looking at some of these models, looking at some of his algorithms and seeing that okay, there's, you could actually invest on this. This is literally what people did with like trading public markets and then kind of like use a very similar philosophy and bring it into like private markets and into early stage investing, which can be like so uncertain, but really trying to make, remove one or two uh, uncertainties away from the decision-making process, which kind of like then helps you come to a conclusion whether it's a good, good enough investment to pursue or not in the first place. And I think that's what most funds initially face is sifting through the through, through the dust and if yeah. you're able to like out of 20 companies if you can still bring if your if your algorithm can say hey speak to four you're still reducing a whole bunch of time that is spent into diligence you know team members like having conversations wasting a lot of time that typically ends up happening in the life cycle of a fund during a course of a year because let's face it most funds invest 10 to 12 companies on a yearly basis but they go through like thousands of companies and speak to them but your algorithms actually like helping sift through half the stuff that's probably not required to in in the in the first place. And now, actually, the one mm -hmm. thing that I will say is that it's not just the. In fact, I would argue that the more number of the deals that you see, uh, you know, and you pick one out of them, uh, your denominator has to be really high. And yeah. I would argue that no human, uh, you know, shop can speak to that many people that you actually should be speaking to to be able to pick the winners. Yeah. It's also sort of just the 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 domination of the the denominator, which happens with, with you know the algorithms uh, that uh, you know and the data. Yeah. Uh, that I think is the beauty of it as well, because you know thousands is not comparable to hundreds of thousands. You know, which is yeah. 
whatever i'm just you know some facetious numbers here but um you you get the point it's it, it's i it's, agree with you um i'll give you a personal experience right like i was doing a, i we built a thesis internally on uh cyber security but cyber security in autonomous vehicles because we our thesis was that the future is going to be autonomous vehicles that going to be a lot more cyber attacks we got to like start looking at early stage companies that invest in the space we built a thesis which took us like 3 months and then it took 7 yeah. or 8 months of sifting through half the companies that were coming into the steel flow me sitting on conversations and speaking to these companies and after a point i couldn't differentiate a good company from a bad company because you yeah. just speak to so many of them no i become numb to it It's you become true. numb to it yeah and at one point like numbness is one part but the other thing is you start questioning yourself like you're like yeah. at some point that bias of okay i built a, it's it's also something cost at one point you're like hey nine months of like me building a thesis looking at companies totally you just are like okay maybe this is the company let's just let's invest and you then start in, involving all your biases into making sure this investment goes through which may not be the right way to go about with an investment and i think that's exactly so absolutely agree with you akash i can't agree with you more because i have also uh, you know been there and done that when i was you know looking at deal flow before i joined rocket ship is there's a point when you speak to so many that, that you feel that there's something wrong with your evaluation yeah. and you want to put your bias into something yeah. i think the uh, that's why i called it that we are very careful in rocket ship not to let the human bias sort of seep in yeah uh, you know into the data because yeah. uh, this thing and and we question it and then we realize 3 months later that we were idiots and we shouldn't have questioned in the first place yeah. and yeah and so you know that's kept kept us in good stead that discipline has kept us in good stead yeah uh, you know having those meetings to sort of you know pull yourself back from it yeah uh, you know these are all things that have helped totally yeah now i'm also curious since we're talking so much about data and portfolio construction and how data really plays a huge role in your funds uh, existence right for the very first time in history and the history of your algorithms as well we are going through a financial downturn like this like a recession like i don't think i mean maybe your 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 algorithms have modeled what have happened in the past in 2000 and 2007 8 and uh, perhaps can look at maybe compare and contrast a couple of those um downturns that we have had before but this is unique in itself unique in a sense that a recession we 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 went through a recession we went through inflation a lot of people said inflation's going to go away inflation's not gone away uh inflation's only getting getting worse 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 how do you take macroeconomic trends and put that into the algorithms so that you're still getting the best out of it because for the very first time in history we're also seeing uh, i mean not first time in history but very first time in recent times that we're seeing vcs give more lot more importance to metrics profitability path to sustainable growth of companies which didn't happen in the last 2 3 years where money was just flowing into the ecosystem yeah. so how do macroeconomic trends then make its way into the algorithm from a a practical point point of view not theoretical less if if my does that does my question make sense no absolutely and let me explain it one way um when covid happened um, yeah. and march 2020 hit april 2020 to be precise um they um our algorithms were immediate to react especially the b2c wow. segment uh, okay. we immediately saw that travel and leisure and some of these things had just kind of fallen off yeah uh, and uh, we saw sort of uh-huh. immediately some emerging trends you know at tech it was almost immediate okay uh, that 
we saw the shift and we were able to you know um, really invest in a lot of them right uh, very and so the digitization it was just immediate so b2c b2b was a little bit more a little bit of a lag couple months i would say two to three months but b2c was immediate so that's just one example of how the data sort of picks up what's going on in the world um the world now what has happened is the you know the valuations and uh, have shifted and and all of those you know corrections that are happening not funding uh you know runway uh, problems with companies those are things that are so the data doesn't really the data kind of uh, implies to the macro you know it bubbles up to the macroeconomics rather than sort of you know it's it's a bubble up rather than a sort of coming down um we actually don't try to impose macroeconomic trends uh, in our data in our algorithms as well um so we so we pick up these trends trends uh, you know we picked up these trends really quickly now as it's happening you know the macroeconomic trends we are um we are not really we are factoring it in but what i'm saying is that it comes it comes it bubbles up rather than it you know us superimposing anything yeah uh, and very very weirdly in fact the signal to noise ratio we are in a better position to identify companies now because mm-hmm. not that much noise because there's not many people sort of investing in companies and every company in every category has a lot of money that's actually going away a little bit and we are finding that you know there's uh, the signal to noise ratio is high Mm-hmm. you get good signal mm-hmm. when there is a signal it's pretty strong it's not because you know uh, somebody else has raised 45 million and this company is also raising the 20 million or you know what i mean so yeah. we are actually really really confident of the data performance right now yeah uh, and and this is uh, as good a time as any or better for us uh, because we have the deal flow we have the data that shows you know what's working and what's not Yeah. Uh, we have the companies and we actually have a, a high level of confidence in the performing companies mm-hmm. so you're 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 telling me that you're getting better insights of the best performing companies given what's happening around us right now because the data is actually able to indicate something that, like that. something on those lines wherein uh, when there's yeah. a lot of noise chances are that the data still pops up like the most like the most Yes. the companies that may be a good fit but today is a better market given that there's lesser noise and you actually have more uh, good companies that are popping up uh, and while this happens right in a market like in downtown that we are in right now and you're putting money against um, you know against data and you're actually how do you then use data to act to to then go on and support you in helping companies develop further like what what kind of portfolio support does data really help with and uh, is that something that you can also measure in one way or the other because we most people actually say that the the only thing that they're unable to measure when it comes from a vc point of view is portfolio support like you can quantify it you can be like i made this intro i made that intro we don't really like at some point that you you don't really know what happens when i introduce you to another person and that person introduce you to like three other people and so on and so forth we don't really know what happens and that's where most vcs like drop off how are you able to like use data to like actually measure the portfolio performance maybe not portfolio performance but your performance against the portfolio let's put it that way no absolutely i think it's a very fair question we strive our best every day we don't have any quantifiers as well on that okay uh, the support that we are able to provide in terms of sort of being the only data uh, outfit uh, on any cap table is mm-hmm. is is a huge deal in itself um but um what we are not able to unfortunately quantify is you know 
kinds of just to exactly to your point an intro uh, yeah. all of those are very difficult to quantify but what we do provide in terms of sort of uh, support is data support and you know everything from infrastructure back end mm-hmm. to front end to you know algorithms to data science we can provide all that hiring uh, we've all built companies yeah. uh, you know of my partners have built companies you know we've built yeah. billions of dollars uh, you know worth companies between the four of us so yeah. so we are able to perform you know we are able to sort of you know give back but the quantification of that unfortunately is something that we are also not able to do the one thing that we also help our companies with is you know where are other companies at what valuation should you know are you seeing you know what's the metrics that you that's the insight you have yeah so, so those are all data uh, stuff but you know the quantifying uh, unfortunately we are not able to quantify our portfolio support also yeah yeah i think that yeah i, I was just curious yeah. to see whether your your algorithms are like helping you like with portfolio support and i mean that was just an example that i gave but i was like you more curious to understand how is data like really helping and i think you made a very good point like just letting your existing portfolio companies know about the competition about the market as such like Absolutely. especially fundraising is the right market to fundraise are you going public is the right market to actually go public That's in exactly. like That's things on the- those lines right like even when it comes to hiring i'm guessing you might be able to like not just from what is like a market comparable like packages but more more so from insights like hey yes. this is probably the market that we can actually be getting talent out of rather than saying like most people most vc funds are like oh this is like the bracket that you can look cfo this much how much they make but you are actually able to say hey this market's like underperforming at this point you've got some really good marketing folks on this side these are probably what you should be poaching at this like that kind of like insights when it comes to I hiring is it's it's funny that you ask me this question we actually have a lot of that data and and yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah but we've just not been taken up on it uh, as seriously but you know we we still tend to you know give advice to folks that ask us yeah uh, on things like that because we can be very directive with our advice uh, yeah. you know just based on what we are seeing from the data yeah yeah i think that's solid that you guys actually have that as part of your repertoire and you know that insight yeah. is if i was a founder i would it's a no brainer and I'm, and my company is growing out definitely come down to you and like speak to you and ask you like what kind of like where should i be hiring from like what kind of you know where can i find the best marketing people where can i find the best companies that are underperforming where and i can actually go and poach their employees especially in a market like this when everybody is constantly thinking of jumping ship um you know this is the kind of stuff that i'm that i i spend a little bit of my time looking at in the market and i don't have as much data and insights as you guys do and i'm constantly like trying to like go against my own uh judgment the things i read up i'm like oh okay like this company is like had a lot of layoffs maybe there are a couple of other companies in the same space that are not really doing well and then start like really to putting manual insights into in in into like perspective which obviously is not really helpful Yeah, absolutely. I think that's those are great points, excellent points. In fact, it's uh, we don't even get asked that much by founders, but there are some founders who ask us, and you know, and yeah. we are and we are happy to uh, you know provide as much info as possible. We're also constrained a little bit by um, the privacy of the data sometimes and whatnot. But you know, broadly to our portfolio companies, we are always open, uh, you know, with as much advice, uh, you know, and guidance that we can give them. Yes. Yeah, I mean. you've obviously like taken all of your operating experience and brought that into the investing side right and that's the question that i started this episode with was trying to understand how your journey has really culminated to making you the investor you are today i think one thing i'm also really curious about is understanding what motivates you every single day to actually go out and like invest in companies what are things that um you're looking into i know your data makes a lot of the makes your life much more easier by letting you know what sectors and what geographies you want to be looking at but from a personal point of view yeah. uh, how do you look at investments and what kind of sectors or founders or 
some of the things that probably matter to you when you're looking at companies and what really gets you out of bed to like work with them on a day-to-day basis? Absolutely. I think, uh, look, I think, you know, uh, you're so right to say that we've been hugely helped by the data and the data does a lot of things for us, um, for all of us. Yeah. Uh, and um, and what that actually also does is it, it keeps it very exciting because when you are, uh, you know, when you have a preconceived notion about the state of the world and what you're good at and what you're not, uh, you know, and what you like versus what you don't, uh, you know, it, it just, it, it your world becomes a little bit more jaded than what it really should be. And yeah. I think the data sort of keeps us fresh. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and, and I think that anybody who says that, you know, we are an expert in this, that or the other, that's great. And that's, you know, a certain thing that, you know, but I think when you have a lot of intelligence and you put a lot of thought behind building something, to me, uh, you know, we're not going to invest in backy things that, you know, we just don't have the expertise in, like we don't do biotech or, you know, we don't do things like that, even though they show up on our screens all the time or space, you know, it's certain yeah. kind and uh, but you know we we definitely do most other things b2b b2c deep tech um different sectors there uh you know um and uh, encompassing these big buckets um and that really keeps it very fresh uh, so i like to you know what keeps me motivated is to sort of uh get to the ideas that are changing lives uh, it's also been very fulfilling uh, being able to invest in the developed world and the developing world the emerging mm-hmm. That's also, I think, you know, uh, something that keeps me really excited because, you know, we have companies like Khata Book, uh, you know, that's an Apna and, and so many others in our portfolio. I don't want to single out names here uh, that are helping just the way, you know, folks are um, uh, interacting with uh, digitization in the, you know, in, in the developing, in the emerging markets. And then we have others here, um, you know, that are sort of, uh, you know, doing climate. Uh, and and attacking some of these other problems. Not to say that those are not also happening in the emerging world. Uh, their emerging markets have got great climate companies now and great space companies. But um, we get to see both the both sides and all sides, and so that keeps me really really motivated. And yeah. finally, you know, like I said, um, and I don't. Uh, I think I have a much better understanding of this. It is not easy to build a company. Yeah. You have to really really be a um, extraordinarily determined extremely sort of tenacious, uh, you know, and just really, really, um, you know, sort of passionate about the goal and to be able to build and keep at it, uh, you know, and to just sort of live and breathe the problem for a very long time. It takes a special kind of a person and a special kind of a team and special kind of a larger team and to find those entrepreneurs and to work with them is I think a privilege, you know, yeah. when you speak to them, uh, your energy changes keeps me uh, motivated and you know and I've learned so much uh, yeah. from my entrepreneurs just like I learned from my kids uh, you know and that's really all my friends are it's just a it's just a human learning or from my teachers you know I feel like um, and I said my kids because you know those are the people that I spend a lot of my time with now especially given summer and I don't want to be condescending at all but I say it in the best possible way yeah uh, you know, this is the new generation and, you know, what I learned from my teachers and it's just life is a circle, life is a cycle. I, um, I find it really, really, um, uh, you know, I just, I find it very, very, um, I don't know the word to use right now. It's, it's, it's keeping me, but I, you know, I find it very gratifying yeah. to be able to spend time in the company of such extraordinary minds that are the entrepreneurs. Yeah. Uh, 
that are thinking that are so forward thinking that 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 kind of energy you only find in like you know much much younger kids or you know like it's just it really is very infectious yeah. uh, the it. audacity to even go and change the world like even have the thought that i want to change the world and going exactly. out and doing it every exactly. single day exactly right. and you know just it's a privilege and yeah. i and i get paid uh, to do to, it yeah <laughs> do it, you know you have so, a front row ticket to this exactly and so you know i i'm like i say i i you know this these are these are those guys are the center stage and you know just to be backstage and just or have front row tickets to that is a privilege yeah. that i don't take lightly and uh, yeah. they're the most important part of this job yeah. there's the ideas and what not but then you know they uh, like they say that one man or one woman can change the world yeah. i see that with entrepreneurial journeys every day that they are changing the world and we are trying to they change it in meaningful ways you know right. for people around them so yeah i love it i love it i can't say enough so, and i can't say enough about uh, having been an operator and yeah now not being one any more but i just know how difficult it is and you know i've never uh, i i just think being a ceo or a founder is really one of the most difficult things in the world yeah i mean i i always say this to anybody who says vcs are not operators when they're vcs they're actually running their funds so technically they are operators too yeah. so uh, and you know you talked about the good part about being an investor being in vc being part of rocket ship what's yeah. the most difficult and challenging part of your job yeah i think one of the most uh, difficult and challenging part of the job when you've been an operator is the um is to know uh, i mean and not really but but is to know that you can't really influence something beyond a certain point you yeah. just you 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 have to invest and then you have to sort of keep moving on you have to respect somebody else's decision because this is not your baby yeah uh, this is you know this, this is their baby and uh, and they should sort of uh, you know they should do what they want yeah uh, you know in terms of nurturing it and so that's sometimes difficult as an operator and yeah. as uh because you want to meddle and sometimes meddling as a vc is the worst thing that you can do for uh, yourself and the portfolio company right in a little difficult because you know you are thinking well you know i know what the problem is and yeah. <laughs> i've done this before sort of a thing you know I've like done, i can I've help you before. yeah or you know you're doing the wrong thing and or you want them to sort of you know go and be a little bit more aggressive yeah uh, some of the best entrepreneurs will not listen to you or some of them will listen to you uh, you get all kinds uh, you know and uh, you know and, and actually you know the who, who do you like working with the best the ones that you listen to you or the ones who are like constantly against you but also prove you wrong or prove you right in some way like which yeah. one do you prefer actually both are great kinds because i've seen enormous successes with both kinds both. that's why you know really when i say that we do, you don't know what works in this business yeah there's a secret sauce uh, that nobody can sort of you know mimic uh, there are sometimes you know people who are you know uh, not naysayers and they'll just kind of go along with you but they'll but they are incredibly successful for certain reasons and then mm-hmm. there are people who are dogmatic and who are who have a point of view and who only want to build it certain way and they're also incredibly successful or not yeah. in both buckets and so yeah. you know, both you have to invest in every kind there's therefore and not have you know you shouldn't have any preconceived notions about yeah. the kinds of entrepreneurs that you want to work with well i think being on the other side of the table it also allows you to alter your own personality while you're working with both kinds because yes, totally. sometimes you are attracted to the founder and what they're doing and sometimes they're attracted to the business and the business model absolutely so, and maybe not the founder in which case you kind of like oh like i got to like make that hard decision like which one do i really want to work with and 
in some cases you end up working with both and both. in some cases one yeah. of them directly like it it's the extent to which you are willing to compromise on either that really defines your investment thesis and your portfolio in my that's like how i would sum it up like your Absolutely. your your that. your room for negligence is your portfolio absolutely <laughs> i spoke like a true vc yakash absolutely i agree with you i i completely agree with you how can you pick one right yeah absolutely right and uh, before, we, before you know we uh, i i let you go and this has been a a beautiful conversation where there's so much insights that's come about because this is the, like i said the first of its kind fund that's come on the podcast that's actually sharing insights about portfolio construction with data um i want you to give some of our listeners both founders as well as operators who are um uh, founders but more so operators who are also thinking of be- becoming investors at some point of time if you were starting your career all over again and you were you know going into vc or if you're going out and building a company all over again what are two pieces of advice you would give to founders and the investors yeah so i think uh you know for founders i would say that always uh, pick something that you're passionate about yeah uh, you know and uh, and i feel like determination really at the end of the day is what stands out and if you believe uh, that you know you you are able to do it then you know you should just persist uh you should be passionate about it and uh, and then you know and you've not wasted your time even at the end of 10 years or whatever it is yeah given it to something that you have felt sort of really um you know an inclination towards so it's always you know time well spent that's the most important thing you know the currency is time and uh, time should always be spent uh, with what you, what brings you happiness and what kind of gives you the uh, you know gives you the validity and the validation has to be it's important uh, mm-hmm. i think everybody Uh, needs certain internal validation um uh, and i think because if you're not doing that then you know it's uh, nothing else really externally helps uh, and so that's that's what i would say to founders yeah. um and uh, and also work with good people you know that's very important i think hiring and bringing the first level team and you know co-founders that's something that is uh, not uh, you know it is amplified a lot nowadays uh, you know for a long long time of course but it's important to spend time with good people and to surround yourself with people that you have fun with because there's no point sort of being dogmatic about a problem that you feel passionate towards but uh, but not just have the right set of characters around you because that really makes or breaks a company i've seen that uh, many many times so yeah. you know having good people around you having the right hires hugely important i think those are the two most important things uh, else you know uh, sort of comes and goes the um the, the investor side again i'd say the same thing you know if you're doing something and there's a reason why lps like to validate who you're working with and you know and your partners and the partnership of the fund because it's mm-hmm. the most important thing uh, you want to work with a good team and uh, and good people and uh, uh, you know and like minded people um that's the most important thing especially for a partnership business mm-hmm. uh, this business is not where you're building some at least with the entrepreneurial side you're building something and there's a vision um here the vision is of course there there is a vision that grounds all of us but it's a, it's a broader vision you know it's it's companies and it's, i think there has to be some like mindedness and you should really have fun doing it um and uh, you know and i think uh, again on this side too it's to to your earlier point it is like building a company uh portfolio construction all of that you know uh, raising a fund do you it you are in it for the long run uh for a long lot of years at least um and uh, you know it's it's important to sort of define what it is that you want to do and stick to it uh, be very clear about it uh be the first one to sort of uh, 
be flexible, but also sort of have some rigidity, some discipline in terms of just your investing style. Because yeah. I, think, uh, discipline is really, really important uh, in this field. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, uh, VC is all about discipline, uh, and it's all about sort of making sure that you have a you have a clear sort of picture of what you want in the larger scheme of things, and then sort of let everything else fluidly, you know, play out. Unfold. Uh, yeah. Unfold. Yeah. That's a fantastic note to end this episode on. I've had such a wonderful time listening and talking to you and hearing a whole lot about how Rocketship was built, what's the thesis is, how are you going about with data and you literally using data to drive insights and portfolio construction. Um, I would love to bring you on sometime in the future again and do a deeper dive into how you're using data to basically help you with some board decisions and some more uh, operational stuff from a day-to-day perspective, but this is a great introduction to a lot of our listeners who perhaps have not heard of how data can be used uh, to actually make some investment calls. So thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure hosting you and I look forward to getting you back onto the episode sometime very soon in the future. Thank you so much, Akash. It's been a real pleasure as well. Likewise, I felt the same way. It was, uh, it was really a free-flowing conversation and I've really had a great time. Thank you. Well, that brings us to the end of Yet another amazing episode here on the DCVC podcast. Madhu had some fantastic insights to share with us. And I was enthralled by how Rocketship is set up as a fund themselves. It's not often that you come across a VC fund that takes a lot of inspiration and insights from its own algorithms and data to then direct it in investments and then go on to build a larger portfolio with doing the same every single day. The human instinct has a natural tendency to kick in every now and then, but Madhu says that data is all that they live and breathe by. And it was very fascinating to understand how a VC fund can maintain such a disciplined approach to investing while you're constantly thinking about your own intuition, your own gut, your own feeling and sense about a certain decision. Thank you so much, Madhu, for sharing your thoughts, knowledge, experience, and everything that you've learned over the last few years investing both in Southeast Asia and here in the United States and continue doing a fantastic job globally with Rocketship. Well, if you're like me and you enjoyed that episode, please go ahead and rate and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting platform. It really helps others discover the show, but importantly, keeps you updated about any of our future episode releases. Make sure you tune back in again next week because we've got another great guest lined up for you here on the podcast. Until then, stay safe everybody and continue to keep hustling.